We are continuing our talk in July on taxes-free, and I am really excited about to learn, actually. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot in this episode, um, but before we get started, uh, Dr. Jess, what is in your glass? I am working on a cup of coffee this morning, so uh, I had to do, you know, my annual blood work to, you know, for my physical, so I couldn't have anything before because <laughs> I was fasting, so now I'm treating myself to a cup of coffee. <laughs> Homemade cup of coffee with some half and half in it. <laughs> so Dr. Bobby, what's in your glass? So I am having just some sparkling lemonade, something a little bit different than water. Um, I've been trying to drink more water because I've been feeling very thirsty, but sometimes a little bit of something different is, is good. Yeah, I like it. And so we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Sue. So Sue, before you introduce yourself, what's in your glass? I have a glass of water, my favorite drink. I'm kind of boring. I don't do coffee or caffeine or anything. <laughs> I don't do soft drinks, but I love water. There we go. Yeah, it's great. Stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. It's getting warm outside. So that's that's awesome. All right. So uh, Sue, tell us a little bit about you. All right. Well, um, I'm a mother. I'm a wife, a mother, and a grandmother. Um, I live in mm -hmm. Cherokee County, Georgia. And um, um, a little bit about my background, I graduated from the University of Georgia, go dogs, sorry, got to put that in there. Um, I graduated with a degree in food science. I went as a pre-med student because I loved physiology and biochemistry, but I realized I didn't want that much of a grueling profession or I, and I didn't want to be in school that long, even though I love studying, but um, I graduated with a degree in food science, but had a strong background, of course, in physiology and biochemistry. I loved studying the human body. Um, after graduating, uh, well, I met my husband at the University of Georgia, but after graduating, I did work at Kraft Foods for almost five years as a microbiologist there. But even after graduating, I often laugh and say I was a better student. I, I am a better student since I'm not in school than when I was in school. I just loved studying and I continued to study and read the works of a popular biochemist of the 70s and 80s, Adele Davis. And I, I didn't sell back my biochemistry and physiology books. And I just kept reading and studying and I believed in eating real food. And um, even though wasn't as clean as I could be and as I am now, but I just I just kind of came at everything from the standpoint, if the body's not working, we're probably not getting a nutrient that we need or nutrients that we need as a whole. And I don't mean to oversimplify, but my my analogy is kind of like if we if our car kind of coasts to a stop and we coast off to the side of the road, the first thing we look at is what? The gas gauge. We don't immediately go, oh, uh, probably my car needs a special surgeon and $900 <laughs> worth of, you know, with the first thing we think of is what we're feeding it. And that's kind of my jumping off place. I know it's not always that simple, but that's kind of where I began. And so I had a passion for eating real food, feeding my family healthy. When I started having children, I became a little more um, uh, committed to that. And um, so we just always, we just always seem to eat real food. And with the, and, and I'm Southern, I tell people, I grew up Southern, we cooked. There were no <laughs> box mixes in my house and packages of prepared <laughs> cookies and things like that. So I cooked. So that was a natural thing for me. And um, so, but as my family grew, you know, we had this 
a lot of the same issues, health issues, you know, are the ear infections, the snotty noses and, and things like that. And then I had some issues that I just thought was life, you know, and, um, but in, uh, so I fed my family real food with the exception of our bread, which I still bought like whole wheat bread from the store, or I bought whole wheat flour and tried to make bread out of that, but that didn't work so well. (laughs) So in 1991, though, um, with my reading and studying, I came across a, a medical journal entitled How to Greatly Reduce the Risk of Common Diseases. In that journal, the history of white flour was presented and the and then a brief discussion on the common diseases that plague America and how it was directly related to the white flour and commercially processed bread that most Americans were consuming. This information made total sense to me. Now, food science, I better better clarify, that is not a nutrition degree. That is not a home ec degree. That is the study of food processing, food chemistry, food technology, some of it great, you know, how to prevent food poisoning and things like that, proper handling, and the microbiology aspect that I kind of focused on, the food fermentation and things like that. So, so my background in some ways was great, but I must have missed the bread class because (laughs) this information was like lights went off and kind of like, why did I never put these pieces of the puzzle together before? And maybe I just never knew there was an option of milling your own flour. You know, flour is something Mm -hmm. you bread, you buy at the store. Bread is something you buy at the store. So, um, but when I read this information, I knew that it was scientifically correct and biblically correct. I'm a Christian, and and so I look at things from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. And um, so we bought a grain mill, <laughs> and um, I began to make all of our own bread. And from that information, you know, I learned that whole grains, real whole grains, are storable. They're the most nutrient-dense food God has given us, but only when that flour is freshly milled and eaten with all the components there Do we get all of the nutrients God intended us to get from it? So I knew this was real, bought a grain mill, came into our home. And I'm an, (laughs) you're going to find out, you're probably going to realize before the end of this talk, I'm very passionate and I can talk forever on this subject and I'm very (laughs) passionate about it. But you know, that was 31 years, 32 years ago. This was in 1991. And I'm still as passionate today as I was then because that grain mill came into our home. It was the only change in our diet we made at the time. Mind you, we were already eating real food, Mm -hmm. except for our bread. The health of our family changed drastically, very noticeably, and very immediate, especially to me. Now, I don't know how... (laughs) How uh, TMI information, you know, you go with this, but I made that milk came in. I milled the flour. I made the bread. And I pooped the next morning. That was huge, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, I had struggled with constipation all my life. Just just thought it was just common, mm-hmm. you know, that everybody struggles with this because you hear people talking about it um, outside of chemical laxatives. I didn't want to do that. I tried natural things, but nothing really worked that well or consistently. But 
eat this bread and that is no longer a problem because all of the fiber is there. So that was a big plus for me. And I tell people, I can tell you now it's 32 years. I've never been constipated again. So I know people want to know that, but you know, and then I began to notice my energy levels. I had five young children when I started, I went on to have number six and number seven later. I now have nine children and uh, my 16th grandchild on the way, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I began to notice that I just had more energy. I, I homeschooled my kids. So they were here all day with me and that can be tiring, tiring. (laughs) They're a blessing, but it can be tiring. So I noticed I had more energy. I noticed that even though we weren't junky eaters, I didn't crave sugary things. I didn't have to have that chocolate or that cookie. It, It just didn't matter anymore. Um, and then I, one of the biggest things was my sinus congestion went completely away being chronically constipated. I was also chronically just congested. I could make it through the day. All right. But at night, my whole, it would just all stop up. I couldn't breathe. So I couldn't sleep. So I'd have to take an antihistamine. All of that went away in the first month. And, uh, and that was amazing. One of my children's warts went away and that may be too long of a story for today, but it's powerful because warts are caused by a virus. And, um, Mm -hmm. that is probably one of our number one testimonies over the last 32 years is hundreds of wart testimonies that within just a week or so, or a month, their warts go away and it's, it's a virus. So this was all in the first month. So I became an avid believer. I began to make bread for other people. The next thing I knew they were calling me saying, (laughs) you teach me how to make bread and I feel better. Or this happened a great testimony, which was kind of the first on my journey was a lady called and she called me and her testimony was, it's the bread. It's got to be the bread. That's how they start their conversation with me. And she goes, that's all I changed. And my cholesterol dropped 85 points in just one month. Wow. And that was a testimony I didn't have. My testimonies, I searched my biochemistry and physiology books and figured out why, why is this happening? You know, but that one was one I didn't have. So that really led me on a journey. Anytime someone would share a testimony with me, I would go to my physiology books, my biochemistry books, and I would go, what is in this bread that could make someone's cholesterol drop 85 points in a month? And I found out it's all there and it's all missing from commercially processed bread. So that led me on a journey. And like I said, after people began to see the same health benefits, because I was baking bread for them, um, and that was that was what really opened the door to starting our company, the Breadbeckers, was because I was, you know, by this point I had six children. I was making bread for all these other people and all the bread for my family. And that was a lot. Six loaves of bread twice a week mixed in with muffins and pancakes and, you know, and homeschooling and laundry and children. You know, I, I was busy. And one weary day I met my husband in the driveway and said, I don't think I'm supposed to make bread for the world. I think I'm supposed to teach the world to make bread for themselves. So that started our, our ministry and our business, Breadbeckers, where we, um, provide grain and grain mills and everything to make bread from freshly milled flour. So that's, that's kind of my story. And the rest is history. We, we started in our tiny little home that you can even see in the background here. And uh, in 1992, and then in 1998, we had outgrown our home and 
and doing business just as ourselves. So we incorporated and we moved into a 10,000 square foot warehouse in Woodstock, Georgia, where we have a huge classroom. And then now we have a secondary warehouse where we bring in grain by the truckloads and package it down for um, home use. And uh, so that's, that's our story. And we're just excited. We have thousands of testimonies of people's improved health. And it just it blesses me every day. Um, I started a podcast recently, and a lot of it is just interviewing people, and their testimony is it's the bread, and um, mm-hmm. so it's exciting. That is super awesome. exciting. Yeah, I think uh, so. One of uh, so one of the ladies that works with me, she trained with you, and yes. so she was really into it. And that's how, and she's continued to to make her own bread and um, does freshly milled grains. That's just now that's all she'll do. And so she then taught um, uh, or like, you know, raised awareness about your stuff to mm-hmm. one of my neighbors who needs to be gluten-free. And so yeah. she now is milling her own stuff to do gluten-free bread and she's got a small little, you know, so she kind of makes for some of the neighbors and stuff like yes. that. I'm gluten-free as well. And so I buy my bread from her. So it's freshly milled grain. Um, yeah. Your, what you've gotten out there as far as like education is like, yeah. it just continues to roll. Um, it does. So what you started then has affected my family. Um, so, cause now that's the, that's the bread we eat is freshly milled grain bread. Um, and like I said, ours is gluten-free, uh, like I said, because of some of the sensitivities we have in our home, but it's really, as we've cleaned up our, what we're eating, bread was a big missing link. It, it, it is. is easy to eat a whole, not easy. Like it's, it's work to eat a whole food diet, right? <laughs> like you, you know, you yeah. can the box, shove it and, and heat it up. There's, there's work and preparation that goes into it. Yeah. The bread part though, uh, is that, that was definitely a missing link for us as well. Yeah. Um, so when it, when it comes to like doing the, the grains, right. Um, what, and you're milling it, what are some of like the, the, like common mistakes that people make, like when they're first getting started and they're like, all right, I'm going to mill my own grain. Like, what are some of like the common mishaps? Um, I don't know of really any mishaps. I think the mis the confusion sometimes when you tell somebody you mill your own grain is is it was always funny in the early days when I would take bread somewhere. Somebody'd say, "Oh, I want your recipe," and I'm like, "Okay, you can have my recipe, but I mill my own grain." And the comment would always be two things: "You do what?" And I'm like, I mill my own grain. So I think that's the thing, just the recognition that this can be done. You don't have to be stuck with buying store-bought flour. So um, I know that's not so much a mishap because I can't really think of any mishaps. But then the other thing, people go, the second question people would ask me after you do what? They would go, where do you live? And I never understood that. It was always so funny. And finally it hit me that I think they were picturing in their mind, a barn and an ox and a big stone mill or a water wheel. Maybe they even thought I was the ox going around in a circle. I don't know. But I think that's a misconception is the grain mill is just this tiny little mill that sits on my counter. You turn it on, you pour the grain in and it comes out flour in 30 seconds or less enough to make bread or pancakes or muffins or whatever. So I think that's probably 
a misconception. And like me, I didn't know that was possible. You know, I was just buying bread from the store. I think um, another misconception is people think it's hard and it's time consuming and I don't have time for this or whatever. And it's really easy. And, and I understand uh, as Americans, I think a lot of us have moved away from cooking. We're so eating out and buying prepared stuff and prepared meals. So I get that. I tell people, if you if you don't know there's a room in your house called a kitchen, you might have a little trouble. But if if you already cook and bake and 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 know where the kitchen is and know how to read a recipe, I mean, it's easy. It's it really, really is. And that's what I think our company, the Breadbeckers, that's what we're so passionate about is coming alongside of people and walking you through the process of just pour your grain in, you know, and grains are storable, but once that flour is milled, nutrients begin to oxidize. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's, yeah, that's what, what we're here to help people understand. And you know what? I know Southerners don't make yeast bread too much. My, my mother, my mother was very Southern. And when I started making bread, I tried to get her to get into it. And she's like, no, yeast bread scares me like that, you know, <laughs> but muffins are fast and easy. Anybody can do that. I whipped them up yesterday or Sunday before I went to church, you know, whip them up in five minutes. They bake in 15 to 20 and boom, in less than 30 minutes, you have muffins. And and also, I think when I say bread, it doesn't have to be a loaf of yeast bread. It can be a muffin, a pancake. It can be a pot of brown rice and black eyed peas. It can be oatmeal. It can be grits. Anything from a grain or a bean is the key. So I know that I don't know if I don't really know of too many mishaps. I think they have the most trouble probably with yeast bread. That's what we get the most questions about. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm like, just skip the yeast bread, make the muffins and pancakes, you know, if that's what it takes. So I think it's funny you said that because when you guys are talking, I I have no idea what mill even was until you just described it a little bit ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm one of those people that I was thinking like it's this big machine that you have out in a warehouse out back somewhere. <laughs> that, yeah. No, so that's where you know I when they were talking, I was like I don't even know what milling your own bread means. So. Yeah, yep, it means buying the grain whole and intact, and grains are storable and milling it when you're ready to use it. Once the bread is baked, the nutritional loss is minimal, but it's that flour. And it might be good if we go through the history of white flour that I learned, if that if that's yeah, yeah, yeah. good with you. So yeah. here's, here's what I learned that was in that journal that absolutely blew me away. Um, you know, and like I said, I just thought the things I was struggling with was just the way of life. I didn't know there could be a difference. And what happened is grains are storable. They always have been um, left whole and intact. All the nutrients are contained inside. Bran has as the outer surface and it has all kinds of vitamins and minerals and protein and fiber. The germ is the interior part, and that's where the little sprout comes from. That's got your vitamin E, fatty acids. A lot of people are all on about eating, you know, getting your essential fatty acids and don't realize that seeds have those. Grains and beans have fatty acids there. And then everything else is um, the white flour portion is endosperm. That's what it's called. But it's little packets of protein and starch. That's all white flour is for all practical purposes. Well, when you mill this grain into flour, all those oils, all those vitamins, all those minerals are exposed to the air 
and oxidation begins to take place. And most of the oxidation takes place in the first few days, shortly after milling. Those oils will go rancid. And just like we know that oils go rancid, right? Nuts spoil, crackers go, you know, anything with a fat or oil will go rancid. So flour spoiled. That's why the mills were located next to the wheat fields once upon a time prior to the 1900s. But in the late 1800s, it was discovered that the bran and germ, when you mill it into flour, stays kind of coarse. So they could sift those parts away and leave only the white flour, the protein and starch. So now they had a flour that wouldn't spoil. This led to the invention of these huge steel rolling mills that could crush the grain, produce massive volumes of white flour. And, um, and this all happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. By 1910, white flour, white bread was the food for the masses in our country. The yeah. local millers went out of business. And all the mills moved out to the wheat fields because now it didn't matter. If you ship the flour across the country and it took months to get there, the white flour wouldn't spoil. But here's what happened. <laughs> and what most of us don't realize is that prior to the 1900s, most of the bread was baked at home. Either you had the capacity to mill your own flour or you got it from the local miller. But also something else happened. When this white flour came on the market and became food for the masses, this was the first time in history this had happened. White flour, white bread was reserved for wealthy people, people that had servants or designated bakers, you know, to make the bread for them. And they found ways to sift the bran and germ out, not as much as we do today, but it would make fluffier, whiter bread. But that was wealthy. The poor people looked with envy at the rich people's white bread. But in 1910, when those steel rolling mills became commonplace, white flour, white bread. Hallelujah. Everybody loved it. But here's what they didn't expect. Three diseases became epidemic at the time. And I'm talking huge issues. Berry berry is a vitamin B1 deficiency began to plague Americans. Pellagra, which is one I've studied pretty extensively, that's a vitamin B3 or niacin deficiency. And that is skin eruptions. I mean, it's horrible, like oozing, burning sores on your nose. It, it's called the disease of the four Ds, pellagra is. Dermatitis, so skin eruptions. Um, dysentery, so horrible, horrendous bowel issues, which, yeah. And um, dementia horrible mental issues. And the Southeastern United States was particularly plagued by pellagra. In fact, the first case of pellagra was diagnosed right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Can't remember if it's 1902 or 1905. I can never, I need to go back and write that in my notes, but it was 30,000 cases in the first year. Huh. And um, one article I read said that the mental institutions in Georgia and South Carolina were literally overflowing because they did not have enough beds to house the patients. And death is the final D of pellagra. And then the third disease that was epidemic was anemia because of the minerals missing in the bran and the, the bran and germ offered to the bread and the flour products. Puzzled health officials all over the country till they finally traced it to the missing nutrients in the bran and germ. Because like I said, the white flour, virtually protein and starch, and that's what we need. We need those proteins, those amino acids, 
but God never intended us to eat it without the fiber and nutrient-rich Brandon germ. So they urged the millers to put the Brandon germ back in the flour, but the millers were unwilling. At that point, they had discovered a very lucrative um, business for the byproducts. I love the food industry when they call the byproducts the good stuff, you know. They were selling that to the cattle feed industry, and that is still done today. The hmm. cattle get the Brandon germ or animal feed of all kinds, and it's now done all around the world because the world wants to live and eat like the rich Americans. And I've seen it in other countries. We have ministries and I've seen Brandon Germ in the marketplace in Haiti where people are starving. When I asked the young man what that was, he said, that's pig feed. And I'm like, well, all righty then, <laughs> you know? And so um, the, the millers were unwilling to lose that lucrative market. So it took until 1948. Now, mind you, this is 1905, 1910. They're seeing these diseases, but it took until 1948. The government then mandated that the flour be enriched. And I think that was what, as a food scientist, deceived me because I read that label as, hmm. We're doing something so good to this bread and this flour. We're making it better than it would have been had we not enriched it for the people. That is such a deceptive terminology, deceived even me. Um, and I didn't mean that arrogantly, that sounded kind of, but someone that has studied and studied nutrition, mm -hmm. it never clicked until I read this. For the 35 to 40 nutrients and, and really more, that probably, because some haven't even been isolated or named, that are lost when you take the Brandon germ away, they put four back in to enrich the flour. And of course, no fiber, never vitamin E. So what was put back in? Three B vitamins and iron, supposedly to stop beriberi and pellagra. But I always have to ask myself this question and others when I'm speaking is, how many nervous disorders do we have in our country today? How many skin eruptions? How much bowel disturbances, mental insanity? Mm. And anemia. Anemia is a big problem. And so it so that so they put it back in and that supposedly stopped those diseases. It took until 1998, 50 years of watching the rising incidence of birth defects for the government to mandate that folic acid be added back to mm -hmm. the flour. And why were these, why was bread chosen to add these nutrients to? Because that's where we lost it from. You know, that's where it was removed from. So they had to add it back. But here, it didn't just stop there. Um, the residual oils in the white flour caused the flour to turn yellow and have these little specks in it can have yellow flour, we want it whiter than white. So what did the food industry begin to do? Use a chlorine derivative product to bleach the flour, bleach it. Did, did you hear what I'm saying? I've <laughs> never, I, you know, I've never poured me up a glass of Clorox, you know, to drink. And yet here we're bleaching our flour with a chlorine derivative and a product called nitrogen trichloride was used for more than 25 years until they discovered that it caused seizures and hyperactivity 
in dogs. In a matter of two weeks, some of the dogs died because they were so frantic, they wouldn't even stop and eat. And when I read that in 1991, that was the beginning of the whole phenomenon of ADD and hyperactivity. Now, nitrogen trichloride was taken off the market, but a chlorine derivative is still being used today. And benzoyl peroxide is used, which destroys B vitamins and calcium and vitamin E. You know, these are things that ca and causes respiratory issues. Potassium bromate is a flower enhancer because, you know, every bag of white flour has to give consistent results. And so they have to condition it and benzoyl peroxide, not benzoyl peroxide, but potassium bromate. And it's known to cause liver and thyroid issues. <laughs> and mm -hmm. we wonder why more than 50% of women particularly have thyroid issues. Right. And yet we're blaming, and wheat is getting a really bad rap. We're blaming wheat for everything when here's the problem. Um, that stuff that's in the store, that down the bread aisle, the cereal aisle, the cracker aisle, that maybe came from wheat, but that is not wheat. Wheat right. is one of the most nutrient-dense foods and grains and beans that God has given us. And I honestly don't think you can be healthy without it because it provides so many nutrients. If you did a nutritional study of the individual vitamins and minerals, you would start seeing wheat, wheat germ, wheat bran as major food source. And we're doing ourselves a terrible disservice of, of not eating grains and beans. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's like super interesting. I knew, yeah. I knew a little bit about that, but not that much by any means. Yeah. And yeah, I just I think it's really important to understand when we're putting something in our body, what are we putting in our body? Yeah, that is what we're directly absorbing. And, and that's how our body functions. So like, the way I was speaking with this functional medicine doctor, and she had a really cool outlook on how, you know, how our system works, like our skin works to protect us from the outside, right? So that's our barrier from the outside. But we have, you know, an opening and an exit. And yes. that's where we introduce the outside to our body. And so what we're putting in our opening is really important because that's a that's a, a decision that we're having to make every single time we eat or drink of like, what is that going to do for us? Um, you know, so yeah. just operate at a higher level. And like you said, when we aren't getting all of the nutrients that we need to get, our body isn't going to operate. And so so instead we take these multivitamins that, you know, yeah. are, like what, what's in those? And, yeah. You know, how well, packaged together and yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's just like the nutrients, the vitamins and iron that they for enrich the flower with those are synthetically produced. And, you know, the B vitamins are a huge complex, a huge family of vitamins, and they only put three back in. Well, now a fourth folic acid is considered one. And from my studies, when you take one without the others consistently, it creates a whole other realm. And, um, and then the other thing, fiber for years was thought to not be really any of any nutritional value because it wasn't digested. But my goodness, <laughs> what we put in, yes, fuels our body if we can get those nutrients from it. But then the stuff our body says that's trash, take it out. 
that fiber absorbs it, dumps it in our big trash can known as our large intestine or our colon to be eliminated. And if we're not eliminating every day at least, and I tell people one good bowel movement a day is the absolute minimum. If you're eating three times a day, you should have a bowel movement three times a day. And Mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables are wonderful, high in minerals and enzymes and soluble fiber, but your grains and beans very nutrient dense, but also soluble and insoluble fiber. And that really helps keep our bodies clean and toxin free. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about, you know, breathing toxins and getting rid of stuff in our homes and not putting toxins on our skin. And that is wonderful, but we got to eat the right foods to get what is coming into our body and what our body says doesn't want to get it eliminated. And, um, and if, and if we're not, and that was one thing I learned when I told you my sinus congestion went away, well, that was directly related to my constipation. And I think people don't realize that. Now I know there's seasonal allergies and things like that, but mine was strictly from me not having a bowel movement every day, getting rid of the toxins. If you're not eliminating that stuff every day, then your colon, those toxins are sitting there in your colon. They get reabsorbed into your body. And one of your responses of your body to toxins is to make mucus. So you can blow it out of your notes. You can get rid of it. That's another elimination station. Our skin, we sweat it out. You know, have you ever eaten like garlic or, you know, been around there, sweat it and you smell it. And, you know, we're getting rid of those things. So those are mechanisms that we've never connected to not go, you know, not eliminating every day. You know, do you ever think about why when you get a cold, you get a snotty nose? It's your body's trying to get rid of either the organism, the virus, or the toxin that that organism has produced. So you Mm -hmm. can cough it up. So what did I do when I had a snotty nose and couldn't sleep at night? I took a antihistamine. What does that do? Does that make it start pouring out my nose? No, it dries it up right where it is. So I was just in this this treadmill or revolving door that I couldn't get off of. And once my bowels started eliminating every day, all of that went away. And I haven't had an antihistamine or a decongestant in 32 years. Most of America lives on them. And that alone is pretty exciting to me and freeing. Even if I get a cold, and I'm not going to say I never get sick, but even if I do get a cold, I get over it quickly and I never need medication. And I'm not saying don't take medication because there's a place for it, but I typically don't have such sinus congestion. It runs, it drains, I blow it out. I do what my body was designed by God to do. So that's a that's a big, big part of, of our body's makeup that I think we sometimes don't make that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to feel uncomfortable ever. Right. So- instead of like understanding what is my body feeling is it supposed to be feeling this and is it something that I just need to get through but the minute that something is just a little bit uncomfortable we're going to jump and mask it because that's what we've been taught to do and I mean in physical therapy we do this all the time with patients where we're trying to help them understand if you feel this yeah that knowledge to do something about it maybe something that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe it's changing how you're doing it, whatever it might be. It's, it's your body's way of communicating. 
And so when we better listen to how our body's communicating to us, we can really drive with intention our next step. So like if you have a migraine headache and you're vomiting, obviously treat that. Exactly. Um, But if you're dehydrated and you feel the headache coming on, drink a lot of water, you know, body temperature down and see how that does. So it's telling you, I need something. So there's different times where it's like, yeah, treat the symptom. Other times like give the body what it's asking for, because that's what it's trying to tell you. So same thing. Kind of like the oil light in your car. It's telling you to put oil in there. You know, there's something. You don't want to go in there and unplug the wire because that light's bothering you. Put some oil in there. So (laughs) I I know. And you're right. I mean, there's times and I'm not going to say, you know, there's never a time for medication or anything like that. I would never say that, but it's fewer and farther between. Like I said, I haven't had an antihistamine in 32 years. I don't even know where a bottle of Advil or ibuprofen is. I think I might have a little one in the cabinet. It's probably expired. I don't know, you know, because I exactly, like you said, if you get a headache a little bit, you're like, am I dehydrated? Am I stressed? Have I not eaten? Is my blood sugar going crazy? You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, but, the, and that's another big thing with the bread. And that's a, a myth that bread diabetics should stay away from bread yeah the stuff in the store absolutely because that's has all the fiber taken out lots of sugar added to it Mm -hmm. so yeah that's going to shoot up your blood sugar but remember I said in the beginning one of the first things I noticed was I had more energy well whole grains and beans because of the fiber they're the complex carbohydrates that they are they're broken down more slowly into the sugars that your brain needs, that your body needs. That's our body's source of energy, you know, and we sugar is like, oh, it's evil. Well, it's what our body lives off of, not the white pure <laughs> drug that we, you know, that we mainline today with soft drinks and the processed food out there. But so when those carbohydrates are broken down, that release of sugar comes on more slowly. The sugars that your brain needs, the sugar that your body needs for energy. And so you just get this steady source of energy and you don't get those spikes in your blood sugar and then insulin's overproduced and then you get this drastic drop and now you're shaking and I'm you know hypoglycemic and I need a coke I need a candy bar I need something to get my blood sugar up and most people are living like that day in and day out I don't do caffeine I don't need caffeine because I just have this steady flow of energy and when I feel really really tired if possible I rest (laughs) if not I drink some water and my adrenaline kicks in like it's supposed to and I do the battle that I need to do that day and then I make sure I get rest Mm -hmm. and um, and you know and that's another thing people are living on caffeine and I don't think we realize that the way caffeine works is it stimulates adrenaline to be produced and adrenaline causes your body to uptake sugar. So that's why when, when that adrenaline, that party is over and the mess is in the kitchen you go, I can't do this. I can't face the day. It's because that blood sugar has dropped Mm -hmm. and you're shaking and people don't realize that and I'm not saying my parents drank a cup of coffee in the morning. That's not an evil, bad thing, but the way people are having to have caffeine just to get Mm -hmm. through the day, they're not realizing that what it's doing, shooting up, dropping down, shooting. And so they get down here, they got to have another drink or fixed or energy drink or something. And um, it's sad. It's really saddens me to see what's happening in our country. 
Yeah. Well, I don't think like it, it's not, it doesn't have, it's not necessary. So I think there's, there's people like you, there's other resources that are out there, which is we're trying to shed some light on and that way people can gain some knowledge. So if people want to learn more about you and how to make bread, what's the best place or not just bread, but like freshly milled grain, they can make their stuff at home. Um, Where would be the best place for them to go for that? So our website is breadbeckers.com. Um, you can go to our website and find lots of products. We also have a YouTube channel, Breadbeckers YouTube channel, lots of classes. And um, that's probably our number one thing you can find. I've done a, a long video, but it's Real Bread, the Staff of Life, where I go into all the hours of research that I did on cancer, heart disease, cholesterol, diabetes, you know, constipation. So it's all there. So that's a great learning experience. But then to watch the classes and see, and we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And then just last year, I started a podcast called Sue's Healthy Minutes and um, lots of testimonies on there. But if you start back from the beginning, it'll be a lot of the nutrition nutritional information. So that's where you can find us, breadbeckers.com, Sue's Healthy Minutes, and Siri and Alexa will pull it up for you if you just tell them to. And um, and then, of course, our YouTube channel, um, Breadbeckers on, on YouTube, and lots of videos. And um, best thing for them to do when they go to our website, breadbeckers.com, to sign up for our email newsletter, And we only send out one a month. We don't inundate your inbox with emails because I'm the one that writes the newsletters and I'm usually behind the deadline. But you'll get um, where I'm speaking. You'll get cooking classes coming up. And we've now started live streaming, um, offering live streaming of those classes. So even if you're out of town, um, you can watch them. But we also have people that drive from all over to come to our classes. They're pretty, pretty amazing. And they're so economically priced i mean 20 30 dollars 10 dollars to watch it online and it's yeah. yeah and lots of articles will come out recipes and things like that we just want to come alongside of you and show you this is a doable lifestyle change and honestly the best and most important lifestyle change as far as eating goes that i can that i've ever seen i've never seen one food make this many changes in people's lives so we just want to help you along the way. You can do it. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sue, for all of your awesome information. You are yeah, so appreciate it. And we're going to link all of this information in the episode description. So that way you don't have to like, you know, like go back and listen to it. Just look at the episode description. We'll have it all linked. Okay. Uh, so the challenge this week is to check out Sue. See if there's something that she uh, has said that resonates with you. Maybe watch an episode, look at her site, maybe even take a class and see if it's something that you can learn how to do. Uh, so stay tuned. Next month, we've got, um, we're going into leadership in the month of August. So um, lots of fun stuff coming your way. Thank you for listening to the episode today. If you would like to learn more about how Two Gals can support you, then join our Two Gals Insiders membership, which can be found at www.2-gals.com. Also, don't forget, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook as well as Instagram. Okay, everybody. Bye. Enjoy your week.